0: All right, great singing this morning. I can hear you all out there <clears throat> quite well. I love that last song, being able to sing Jesus is Better. Always reminds me of preaching through the gospel of Mark. I think we introduced that song, I don't know, three or four years ago when we were going through Mark's gospel. And just reminds me of a flood of memories of what we learned about Jesus from, uh, from that gospel. So uh, today I invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 25 today. <clears throat> as you do that, just as a way to prepare our hearts, uh, occasionally in the morning, uh, on Sunday morning, uh, before we gather to worship, I will review scriptures that remind me of the power of the Word of God just as an encouragement you know, to pursue Christ and pursue His Word and to really... Uh, challenge my heart to believe, believe that we are looking at uh, the eternal Word of God, the eternal Word of God and His Holy Word. Uh, so this morning I read Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. It says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower, And bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it will accomplish that which I purpose and will succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we consider Romans 4 and ask Him to give us the ability to pay close attention to this Word that will accomplish what God purposes. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to this portion of the service, we've been reflecting on Scripture all throughout. We read Hebrews 6, which reminds us that we have a sure and steady anchor an anchor that enters into heaven through our forerunner, Jesus. That is our hope. Lord, I pray that we would believe that Scripture today. I pray that we would believe the Scriptures that we sang, Psalm 130. Might our hearts resonate with the psalmist. And Lord, I pray that you would use that portion of your Word to change us, to empower and strengthen us. And then as we consider in the sermon, Romans four, eighteen through 25 today, we are so grateful for the example of Abraham, the father of many nations. And we're thankful for what his justification rested on. Rested on faith. And so as we come to his example... It written by Paul. I pray, Lord, that we would all grow in our faith. I pray that we would learn from Abraham's example. And I pray especially for my brothers and sisters who might be enduring some difficult situation. I pray that uh, the anchor that we have in Jesus and the sure hope that we have in heaven would motivate them and challenge them today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we consider Romans chapter 4, the end of the chapter, we've taken a few weeks to work through this chapter. Originally I thought it would take me two sermons, it's been four, uh, including this one. Uh, Hopefully that doesn't keep happening, uh, or we are going to make it uh, through Romans uh, in the next three or four years, okay, so I don't think that's the case though. As we look at Romans 4, 18 through 25, uh, start by asking you a question. Uh, have you ever been in a hopeless situation before? Have you ever been in a hopeless situation, something impossible? Uh, perhaps some of you are in that right now. You're in the middle of that. It seems like there's no way out. Maybe you've been asked to do something at work where you don't have the proper resources. You, know, you don't have enough time, you don't have the manpower, you don't have the tools, you don't have the supplies to get the job done. But you try to keep a positive perspective and things keep getting worse. You know it's going to end poorly. Or perhaps your impossible situation is that you're struggling in a relationship with someone you love who always struggles with the same sin. The problem is his or her struggle is not just affecting him or her. It's painful. It's destructive. It's hurtful. Perhaps for some of you, even, it's been many years of this. How should you respond? How should you keep going in a relational issue that seems to be impossible? Maybe you're facing a health crisis. The diagnosis is not good, and from a human perspective, things won't get better. What should you do? How do Christians face impossible situations well in our sermon text this morning we'll hear how abraham faced an impossible situation in abraham's impossible situation he weighed two things when he was determining how to live his two things were his physical circumstances and limitations that's on the one side of the scale and on the other is god's promise God's promise. Those two things. And Abraham chose to give greater significance to this side of the scale the promises of God and the hope that he had through those promises. Now, as we consider Abraham's example, the the aim of our sermon this morning will be to motivate you. Motivate you. I'm going to be talking about Abraham, but this sermon is about you. The goal will be to motivate you in weighing your physical circumstances and limitations and God's promise to trust God, even in the midst of your own challenges. We've considered false means of justification in Romans 4. Um, uh, We saw where Paul uses Abraham's story to show that works of the law won't do it, circumcision won't do it, the law won't accomplish this. Uh, Now we come to where Abraham shows us positively in the story, how one is made right with God, and the positive means of sanctification is faith. More specifically, my sermon today just has two points. It's a short sermon, short, well, short sermon maybe, short outline, two points. Uh, The first is the nature of Abraham's faith. Uh, The second will be the object of his faith. This outline is fairly standard for most people who look at Romans 4, so I'm not creating something new today, but uh, I do think this is how the text unfolds. So uh, when we look at the nature of Abraham's faith at the beginning, we'll, we'll draw out lessons regarding genuine faith. I think that this section, verses 18 through 22, teach us four lessons about the nature of genuine faith, or four qualities of what genuine faith looks like. All right, And so the first one is this, genuine faith rests on hope from God. Genuine faith rests on hope from God. Look at verse 18. It says, In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Here, the the first statement Of this verse is one that I think is really worth our attention. In hope he believed against hope. Now what I have behind me is my favorite translation of this. The Net Bible. New English translation. Against hope he believed in hope. Now this phrase has two important senses to it. The the main verb is believed. It's going to tell us about Abraham's faith. But in combination with that Paul puts the word hope twice all right and I think reflecting on this phrase will give us our first two faith lessons what I want to look at first is the second half he believed in hope that is genuine faith rests on hope from God he believed in hope God made many promises to Abraham. We looked at the Abrahamic promise last week, especially when we looked at Genesis chapter 12. And there we see that God promised Abraham things like a great name, innumerable descendants, a land for his possession, and a blessing that would be for all the people or all the families of the earth. Among those promises, God pointed out, a little bit later in the text, he pointed out the stars in heaven... And he said, so shall your offspring be. As innumerable as those stars, Abraham, so shall your offspring be. And so Abraham's faith was rooted in and fixed upon the sure future that God's promise afforded him. This was his hope from God. Abraham believed on the basis of hope in order that, He might actually become the father of many nations. Ironically, the same thing is true of us in in some ways. Our faith is also based upon the hope that comes to us through the promises of God. We look to the fulfillment of God's promises as well, but this would be the first lesson, right? Genuine faith rests on or relies on hope that comes from God. Now I want to go to the second lesson. And this one uh, we'll see not only here, but also in verse 19. The second lesson regarding genuine faith is genuine faith does not rely on human hope. Genuine faith does not rely on human hope. And uh, reminding you of that first expression in verse 18, against hope he believed in hope, I'm looking now at the first part. Against hope he believed. Okay, so... What what does this mean? Against hope he believed. Well, uh, one man said it this way. He said, a great test of faith is whether a person can continue to believe God's promises when appearances seem to destroy all hope. So I think the hope he's describing here would be the hope uh, that we find uh, in this life. Human hope. Uh, Now, I think he expounds on that In verse 19, so look in verse 19, and he'll tell us uh, what Abraham faced that caused him uh, to, to go against hope. Look at verse 19. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. What we're going to see in this text is Abraham's faith remains strong even in the midst of two significant challenges. And those challenges are both found in verse 19. Okay, so his faith did not weaken or waver, although, number one, his body was as good as dead, which is a faithful translation of the Greek expression here. Okay, Now, this description of some elderly person is quite interesting. If I came up to you and I said, your body is as good as dead, um, or your body is dead, that might not be very endearing to you. So what does he mean by this? It could be translated, his body is now or already dead. And I, I think that the point he's making here is although Abraham was still alive, being nearly 100 years age, his ability to have children was already gone. Abraham was not able to father children because he was almost 100 years old. Now, when we read Paul and he describes Abraham like this, if we know the Old Testament Abraham story, we might have some questions. So what I want to invite you to do is turn back to Genesis for a moment. I want to show you some potential issues with what Paul says here, and then we're going to explain it. Okay, we're going to look at the beginning of three chapters in Genesis. In the Abraham story So go back to Genesis chapter 16 As we begin There's some potential issues With what Paul says About Abraham Considering that his own body was dead That he wasn't able to have children And I want to lay these out for you So first we start with Genesis 16 Verses 1 through 4 Ready verse 1 Now Sarai, Abraham's wife Had borne him no children She was a female Egyptian servant Whose name was Hagar And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Here, Abraham fathers Ishmael through the handmaid uh, Hagar. So we remember this part of the story, okay? Keep that in mind. Now I'll turn to Genesis 21, and we'll look at verses 1 and 2. Genesis 21, verses 1 and 2. This is the account of Sarah bearing Isaac. This is the fulfillment of the promise that God gives to Abraham. But look at uh, verse 1, Genesis 21. The Lord visited Sarah, Sarah. As he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Again, we're looking at these texts and I'm going to point out a potential issue with what Paul is saying in Romans. But here we just observe God fulfilled the promise. Sarah gives birth to Isaac. Now, there's one other text to really blow your mind. If you're following with me i'll tell you what i'm doing in a second genesis 25. why don't you go to genesis 25. and again we're going to look at the first few verses of this chapter so if you're just looking to abraham's story and you're tracing it out through these chapters you'll see this potential problem genesis 25 verse 1. abraham took another wife whose name was keturah okay we say well i know what the problem is Got too many women, uh, you know, too many marriages and stuff. That is a problem. I understand that, but there's another one I want to point out. Look at verse two. Keturah bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shuah. Okay, and I think my personal interpretation is that Abraham marries Keturah and she bears these children after Isaac had already been born. Okay, so what are the potential problems? Well. It seems to be that Abraham's body was not really dead, right? That he was able to have children both before Isaac and after Isaac, okay? So what is the solution? Well, there are two good ones, okay? I always put, if you haven't figured this out, I always put the one I like at the second one, okay? That doesn't mean you don't pay attention for the first one, but there are two possible solutions, First, it may be that Abraham's body was only considered to be dead, that this was the way he reckoned himself, but the truth was it wasn't dead. This solution goes back to a, uh, early writer Augustine, who felt that the real problem in the infertility with Abraham and Sarah was Sarah and her womb, okay, and that Abraham only considered his body to be dead. Uh, the other way of looking at this uh, actually comes, the first person I was able to see who held this was John Calvin, uh, so second, it may be that Abraham was rendered ineffective in the 13 to 14 years since Hagar's conception, but that God restored him fully. Okay, so he conceives Ishmael with Hagar when he's about 86 or so, and the 13 or 14 years after that, he could no longer have children. Now he's 100, but God performed a miracle. And when God restores, he fully restores <laughs> And so with Keturah, later, he's able to have several children as well. That's perhaps the solution I like, but Abraham considered his own body that was dead. I think he was not able to have children when he was 100 years of age, yet he believed the promise of God. Now go back to Romans. There's one other problem that involves deadness or death that Abraham uh, considers. Uh, Paul uh, also describes that Abram did not consider, he did consider the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Now, the word barren or barrenness in the text is actually from the Greek word for dead. Again, so i I'd almost, I know <clears throat> it seems a little wooden in translation, but I almost prefer to say he also did not consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. There was another word for barren he could have used, but he specifically, and for a reason, Paul uses the word dead to describe the womb of Sarah. This means her her reproductive abilities completely ceased and withered away. So when God looked down at the womb of Sarah, he saw nothingness and emptiness. He saw deadness. And so Abraham's and Sarah's abilities to have children were completely empty. empty. According to all human calculations, they could not have children. I would think even modern doctors today would would have to tell this elderly couple, 190 years of age, there's no hope for you. You're not going to be able to do this. Yet, God delivered on his promise. God did it, he came through. I want you to imagine this for a second. Can you imagine a 90-year-old woman with a 100-year-old man having a child? Imagine if this happened in our church. Imagine the mystery, right? The buzz, the excitement. Someone illustrated it this way. I know we've got some uh, kids home from college break. Can you imagine... College students, you're home from break and your excited mother sits you down when you get back. She gets the whole family together and says that she has some amazing news. Although it will come as a surprise to everyone, and although they thought it was no longer possible, yes, you guessed it, grandma is having a baby. You're like, what? <laughs> Just happened? Is that possible? Despite all human odds, Abraham hoped against hope and remained firm, did not weaken in his belief in God. Faith is not dependent upon human circumstances. We must focus more on God's ability than all the sad conditions around us and in us against hope, human calculations. He believed in the hope that God had given to him. Well, there's another lesson I want to give you, third lesson regarding genuine faith, is genuine faith can grow stronger. And uh, for this, I, I find it in verses 20 and 21, so look there in your Bible. It says, no unbelief made him waver." Concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that what God was able to, that that God was able to do what he had promised. Here, Paul describes what happened to Abraham's uh, faith in three ways. First, he says, No unbelief made him waver. Second, he grew strong in his faith. Third, he was fully convinced that God was able. I want to point out just maybe one really important thing in verses 20 and 21, and that is all of these verbs and all of the participles that are used here are passive. You say, well, I don't remember what that means. What that means is Abraham did not do this himself. These are what theologians would call divine passives. This is what God did in and with Abraham and his faith. Now, having said that, I think it is justifiable for us to look at Abraham's heart of faith and lift it up as an example for us. When we peel open Abraham's heart of faith, what we learn in this text is that it was not staggering in unbelief. It was growing stronger and he was fully convinced That God was able to come through on his promises. Although Abraham did consider all of the obstacles, he counted God as able. I like how one commentator, Tom Schreiner, described this. He says, what sustained Abraham in his faith then was, and listen to this part, was a vision of the God who could do the impossible. What sustained Abraham in his faith then was a vision of the God who could do the impossible. And men and women, that is how we can glorify God. Having that sort of faith or trust that he can do it is a way that we give glory to God. There's one other lesson about faith we we learn in this passage. It's just from the little verse in verse 22. Genuine faith is approved by God. Verse 22 says, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Understand this little verse. You have to understand what the word that is. Well, I think it's pointing back to verse 21. What was it about Abraham's faith? What what quality of his faith uh, caused God to credit that to his account as righteousness? And that quality is he's fully convinced that God could do it. He didn't waver in his belief. This is why his faith counted. Because he was convinced that God could come through. Well, there's a second half of the sermon I want us to see. And I just want to go a little bit quicker. We'll look at verses 23 through 25 to see the object of Abraham's faith. We considered the nature of it. It's got these four qualities to it. But I want to look at the object of Abraham's faith. Or you could say it this way. The object of Paul recording these thoughts about Abraham. Look at Verse 23. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Here Paul reflects on Abraham's faith and his righteousness. Uh, As the text says, for our sake. This is not just like an ancient text, thousands of years old, that gives us a history lesson. Abraham's story is not just an ancient text with no bearing on the present. This is recorded here for our sake. For our sake. Paul wants us to understand how God credited Abraham with righteousness on the basis of his faith so that we might also have faith. Why the text is here. Now, as we're considering the object of Abraham's faith, I, I want to see if we can answer that in this text. If you look in the middle of verse 24, I think you see the object of faith that we must believe in when it says in the middle verse, Him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Okay, so as Paul's recording Abraham's story, he said the lesson is recorded so that you might understand the object, the true object of genuine faith. The object of one's faith is what makes faith good or bad. And when it comes to justification, only one object works. We must believe that Jesus died in our place on the cross and that God raised him from the dead. You see, we too must believe in a God who brings life from the dead. Abraham's faith was a type. It pointed forward to something better and more significant. It pointed forward to the faith of believers in Jesus Christ. And it pointed to the object, the genuine object of saving faith. We too must believe in the one who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Now, if you look at verse 25, I want to just briefly mention something here a little bit more closely about this verse. Uh, Paul says that Jesus was given over because of our trespasses and was raised for the sake of our justification. In this passage, we come across one important word, a sin word, uh, that you'll see from time to time in Romans. In Romans 4 and 5, there are three of these, and I've mentioned little bits and pieces of them, but I want to just review them for you. There are three sin words that you need to understand to, to walk away from this passage with proper knowledge. First word is the word sin itself. This word is commonly used in the Bible. It's Used fifty-five times in Romans, <clears throat> seventeen times in Romans chapter six alone. When we come across the word "sin" in our English translations, it's usually <clears throat> translating a word that uh, speaks of the general category of falling short of God's glorious being and His demands. Think of Romans three twenty-three: "For all have sinned." What's that mean? And fallen short of God's glory it means to miss the mark or to fall short. That's the general category of what is wrong with people who are under the wrath of God. All human beings are under the wrath of God because they sin, they miss the mark. But last week we saw a, another word that actually is used quite quite frequently in Romans. It's a rare word, but the word is transgression. Transgression. It's used seven times in the new testament but paul uses it five times three in romans here the word transgression when you see it it means to overstep last week i talked about this of knowing a law knowing what was right or wrong and then choosing to step across and do it anyway that's a transgression but what we see in our text is another word that fits within the general category of sin. So, sin is like the broad word. Within it, you can transgress. But you can also trespass. The word trespass uh, is used a bit more frequently in the New Testament, 19 times, used nine times in Romans, uh, seven in this chapter and the next. When you come across the word trespass, it speaks of stumbling or stepping out of line. Okay? It's different than transgression in a little way in that it doesn't reveal whether the law is known or not, the rule is known or not. It just means you're stepping out of line. And so in this final text in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, it says Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses, our continually stepping out of line, our false steps and stumblings. Now, with all of these comments in mind in this verse, I think that the main point of verses 23-25, through however, is to make the object of genuine saving faith clear. As Abraham had to believe that God could bring life from the dead, all genuine believers must believe that God raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. So, If you leave here today, and you go to lunch with your family, and you get into a conversation with a waiter at Three Amigos, or Broncos, I'm actually stirring within you, a desire here is probably not good, (laughs) you get involved in a conversation and your waiter says, well I have faith, is that good enough? No, thank you. It's not. It must be in God who raised our Lord Jesus from the dead. The object of faith is also very, very important. As Abraham lived his life looking forward to God's fulfillment, looking forward to a son and a land and a blessing, we too live our lives in the midst of hardships and our own difficulties and impossibilities We look forward to our Christian hope found in justification through our Lord Jesus Christ. Men and women, God can provide for you in this life in any impossible scenario that you're in. But I would also say God will provide for you in the next life through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As we sang this morning, we have an anchor of the soul, an anchor that enters into heaven itself through our forerunner, Jesus. So I was thinking through this text, uh, couldn't help through prayer this morning to think of many in our congregation who are facing significant challenges. I used the three categories, challenges at work, challenges in relationships, and challenges in health in my opening il- illustration because I know members here who are struggling in all of those areas. May God enable us in whatever our area of difficulty is to against hope, believe in hope. I conclude with the words of the old hymn writer who said it better than I have today. He said this, my faith has found a resting place. Not in device or creed i trust the ever living one his wounds for me shall plead i need no other argument i need no other plea it is enough that jesus died and that he died for me let's pray together Lord, I pray that this morning we would all consider and learn from the example of Abraham. Lord, first, may we marvel at the nature of his faith. He's a hundred-year-old man. You made those promises years before. Years before. And now everyone around him and everything within him was telling him it was impossible. Yet, he remained fully convinced that you could do it. Father, I pray that we would see that genuine faith does not rest to rely upon human resources and human hope, but it rests on hope from you. And so I pray for my brothers or sisters who are going through significant trials. May they see that you, you can deliver them. You, you can, in your sovereign will and power, help them. You can overcome any problem. But may they also see that in Jesus, you've already helped them. You've already given to them a hope that's even far greater than anything we'd experienced in this life. You've given us a sure and steady anchor. You've given us justification through Jesus Christ, whom you raised from the dead. And I pray that that would be encouraging to my brothers and sisters. I pray that you would help them as they... Attempt to walk lives in the faith of Abraham. Like Abraham, being fully convinced that you can do what you've promised. And then, Lord, I would pray that uh, we would reflect a moment here upon the object of Abraham's faith. I love the how, how this one man has described it. That what, what held Abraham firm was his vision of God who could do the impossible. God, we can become so cold and skeptical in our theology and in our life that we forget that it is truly our vision for you and of you that can sustain us. Lord, give us greater faith Give us a better understanding of who you are. And I pray, Lord, that that would strengthen our church as well. In Jesus' name, amen.